familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. When we get pregnant, there are so many expectations and thoughts about the pregnancy that goes through our minds. This includes the health of our baby and the what ifs. Sometimes the unexpected happens and we deliver our baby prematurely. Today we're discussing breastfeeding a preemie. We're the boob group. I use a breast pump. I hand express milk for my baby. I exclusively breastfeed. I use a nipple shield. I breastfed after a C-section. I use a milk bank. I breastfeed in public whenever I feel like it. I pump at work. I breastfeed with a cover. I breastfeed twins. I give my baby bottles. I made my own supplemental nursing system. I supplement with formula. I talk to my baby while I breastfeed. I'm breastfeeding as a survivor of sexual abuse. When I have extra milk, I share it with other moms. We are equal. We are the Boob Group. Welcome to the Boob Group. We're here to support all moms wanting to provide breast milk to their babies. I'm your host, Priya Namard. I'm also the founder of the Moms Pump Pair Nursing Room Locator app, which helps moms all over the world to find great places to pump and breastfeed their babies. If you haven't yet, we encourage you to download the new Mommy Media Network app, which gives you easy access to all our episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast through iTunes, so all our latest episodes download to your mobile device automatically. And if you're on iTunes, please leave us a review so other moms can learn about us. Let's meet the mamas joining us today for our conversation. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Hi, my name is Amber Star Merkins, and I am a mom of two children, ages seven and three. My, I live here in Brooklyn, New York, and my, my second child was born at 28 weeks, and she was in the NICU for six months. And um, she's now a healthy, happy three-year-old, and she breastfed until she was two years old, starting off, obviously, with a very bumpy start, but it happened. And I'm also a postpartum doula and certified breastfeeding counselor, and I work as the New York Outreach Coordinator for Mother's Milk Bank Northeast which is a regional milk bank serving 10 states, including New York. We provide pasteurized, screened human donor milk to hospitals and outpatient families, including eight hospitals currently in New York City and 20 in the state. And that's me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot, yeah. Uh, hi, my name is Hillary Clark, and I am mom to Iona. And Iona was born a micro preemie at 27 weeks and stayed in the hospital for 80 days. She first 
got on the boob at on August 2nd, <laughs> about a month and a half into our stay at the NICU. And it was a long road trying to breastfeed this sweet little preemie. But we got there and she's still a breastfeeding baby today at 16 months. That's awesome. I know, right? (laughs) And hey, everyone, I'm Sunny. Uh, I'm producing today's show, and I actually have um, some experience with today's topic because I have have four kids total, but my last two kids are twins, and now they are almost three. They'll actually be three next month, but they were born technically as preemies, but they were born as 35-weekers, so they were actually right on the border. It was interesting when I was pregnant. I remember my, what is it, my parenting natologist was saying, because I was, I was so concerned about having um, really small twins and going through the NICU, I knew a lot of twin parents that that's exactly what happened to them. And so I said, okay, well, what is, you know, the weak mark? What weak mark am I aiming for here to not have to go to the NICU? And she said, well, it's, it's right around 35 weeks. But she's like, you can't, you know, take that to the bank because, you know, there, there are older children, you know, that were born later that, that still need the NICU. But she said, usually around 35 weeks. So I must have got that in my head somehow when I was pregnant because I was like, just make it to 35 weeks, make it to 35 weeks. And they came out at 35 weeks in a couple of days. So didn't need the NICU, which was which was helpful, you know, but they still weren't able to latch. So I can certainly uh, talk about my transition and being able to provide my own breast milk and um, then, you know, getting them to the point where they tandem fed, which they did for almost three years. So. Awesome. And you just stopped too. Awesome. You just stopped too. <laughs> um, so I'm your host, Priya Navard, and I have uh, three children. Uh, my oldest is 14. I have a 12 year old and an eight year old. So my children are a little bit older, but I breastfed all of them and they all were full term. So I'm sort of like the outsider in this conversation. But, you know, I have tons of friends and, you know, people I know through the mommy world that have had this experience. Um, so I'm looking forward to today's conversation and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to provide moms listening with great tips and resources they can look for if they have a preemie. Thank you all for being here. Sounds familiar. If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. All right, so before we kick off our conversation today, we're going to talk about a news headline. And I, I'm i a big fan. Moms that are able to pump and pump consistently for a long period of time or go back to work and pump, I am just in awe of you guys because it takes a lot of effort to do that. And uh, we want to highlight a mom that was just so dedicated to her baby and, and pumping for her baby, even though her baby was sick. So this happened, uh, it may have been over a year ago, but still the story is still 
still uh, a very powerful story. And this happened in Nebraska. And a mom, her name is Demi, um, she had a baby two months early. And uh, baby Leo was his name. He spent 10 months in the NICU. And he was diagnosed with a birth defect that basically there wasn't any skin that developed over his organs. And so it's it's very rare. Um, but he was in the NICU for 10 months. And during that time, his mom was pumping profusely for him. And um, he was really wasn't taking to the breast milk very well. And eventually he passed away. And it, it's a sad story, you know, when we just take it at that. But the mom, Demi, decided to donate all of her breast milk. And that's really the, the happy part of this story is she actually donated, get this, 17,503 ounces, which equals about 131 gallons of milk. So when you <laughs> when you think about like a dairy section of, <laughs> yes, of your grocery store, that's pretty much what you're talking about, which is amazing. And just think about all the babies she was able to help and, and you know, in doing so. So wanted to talk about that. Obviously, wanted to give some props still to Demi for doing this um, and helping out so many babies. But what do you think when you hear that number? I mean, I, it's tough to pump. I mean, I've pumped. I pumped for, for my preemies. I didn't pump that much. Um, this just the sheer dedication of what Demi did. Priya, what do you think? Well, uh, I remember pumping and just, <laughs> you know, it's so tough. You know, you're dealing with all your, you know, the, the craps in your nipples and, and just, you know, trying to keep up the supply for your baby. I can't imagine, you know, physically what she went through trying to get all that milk out, but just emotionally and mentally, how, how harrowing and both exhausting that might, might have been for her to know that, you know, my, my son, well, she was pumping while, while her son was in the NICU, but even afterwards, um, having to continue to pump like that or wanting to continue to pump like that was very harrowing of her. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true because she didn't pump all of that probably in those 10 months. She probably kept pumping afterwards. That was, that, that would take a lot. That'd take a lot to, to continue to do that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's such hard work to, to pump milk. And then if, when your baby passes, it, it's the milk is often just such a strong and important connection to your baby. I mean, throwing it away would be extremely, can be extremely painful. And for some mothers, just unthinkable. And yeah, donating it can be such a, an amazing way for some moms to find comfort and knowing that their baby's milk will, will really save, literally save lives. Um, and when you think about the, how much a preemie, takes in a feed a lot of times it's very small sometimes a fraction of an ounce so that amount of milk is going so far (laughs) you know it's amazing and milk banks you know gratefully accept donations of milk from bereaved families and there are actually many bereaved moms who who do it yeah i mean she's a hero in my eyes you know because even pumping for a baby primarily who is in the hospital who's not home is even so much more it's it's different even than pumping for a child that you're with i mean it's it's it can be extremely emotional and i would imagine i mean i don't know but i would i would foresee that as being quite healing knowing that she was helping other babies yeah and it was definitely if if you think about it it was just her way of of staying um have continuing that connection so mm-hmm. it was like him being there 
without him being there by her having by her doing this you know i mean i think that for a lot of mo- i know for myself pumping it, even though it was difficult it gave me a purpose and it gave me um a routine in a really chaotic time and it gave me a way to help also when i felt like so helpless sometimes and so like you know the days when i couldn't even my baby was too fragile to hold and I think also when you lose a baby, having that almost structure to your life with pumping for a while and that letting that give you some some strength and, you know, kind of framing the experience in a way. It's really, really amazing. Uh, I think that's so interesting. I never really thought of it that way. But so often we view the the rigorous pumping schedule as a negative. But you're absolutely right. If if everything just seems kind of out of whack and you need, you know, something to structure your day, that could be extremely helpful. So for myself, my day was structured around pumping and being with Iona when she was in the hospital. And that I knew similar to Amber when I couldn't hold her, that I was doing something for her. When I felt totally out of control of everything that was happening, I knew at least I can do that. And so it was a grounding practice for me in a lot of ways. All right. Well, thanks, ladies, for your thoughts on this. And obviously, you know, a big high five to Demi for doing this and for helping so many babies in the process. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today we're talking about breastfeeding a preemie and we are pleased to have Amber Star Merkins, New York Outreach Coordinator for the Mother's Milk Bank Northeast as our expert. Welcome, Amber. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm so glad you're able to join us today. So this is an important discussion, and I wanted to dive right in. So let's discuss expectations before we get into breastfeeding a preemie. Now, we sort of touched upon this in our featured segment, um, what our expectations were. So I would love to hear about what your expectations were for your pregnancies uh, before you gave birth and before finding out (laughs) that you might give birth to a preemie. I I mean, I know I definitely expected to breastfeed. And I had breastfed my first child. And I almost, it it was hard with, I thought it was hard with my first. <laughs> and one of the things that was hard about it for me was just slowing down and being able to sit still and taking in that time and enjoying, especially at the beginning when it can be so intense and the newborn needs to feed very frequently. And then I was looking forward to, you know, just just releasing into that and surrendering to that with my second. Um, but then she, it turned out everything was very different. And she came very early and um, I couldn't even begin to teach her how to breastfeed until she was nearly two months old. So um, you never know. <laughs> but when she was born, I definitely immediately asked for a pump and I just sort of didn't even 
let it enter my mind that I wouldn't try, even though she was, you know, just two pounds to, and um, on connected to a million machines and everything. It just sort of was the thing that I, I knew I would do. And then doctors and nurses were definitely um, validating that in a whole different way because it was like they told me that the that my milk was like medicine for her for very tiny babies. It's not just about the nutrients and, you know, kind of having this close bond with your baby, but it's literally medicine that can save their lives and prevent infection and in- inflammation. And it's, it's like gold. <laughs> it's not just a term. It's, it's a literal description of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what went on in your mind? So, you know, you're, you had your first baby, everything was normal. And then your second baby, you're expecting everything to be normal. So when, when did it happen for you where it switched? When did you found out? Well, it was pretty sudden. I'd had a, I'd had an abnormal blood test of alpha fetal protein around 20 weeks, but we had high level ultrasounds and an amniocentesis and they couldn't find anything that would normally be associated with that wrong with my daughter. And so they just said, well, we don't know what's happening. But then about a month and a half later, right when I was hit the six month mark of my pregnancy, I just went through a weekend of, I was actually planning my my son's birthday party and I couldn't feel her moving and it just felt very strange. And I told a couple of people and they said, well, but you know, sometimes you just, when you're so busy, it's hard to, you, you don't feel the baby or you're probably, it's probably everything's fine. But I just knew, you know, there was something going on. And so that was over the weekend. And I went into my midwife on Monday and just to check, make sure everything was okay. And it turned out that I had very high levels of amniotic fluid and the baby's heartbeat was hard to detect. And I was just taken right to the closest hospital. And it turned out that the the blood flow in her umbilical cord somehow had reversed flow, which is very rare. But um, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't doing well and she wasn't getting anything. So they just, you know, they just took her out. I had, I was wheeled into the operating room and she was there, you know, a couple hours later. Wow. And this was, this was 20 weeks? It was at 28 weeks. And so it was completely shocking. No real warning. I mean, there was that little bit of warning that something might be off, but yeah, it was uh, just, we were just thrown into this whole other world and you just kind of go with it, you know? So Sunny, you, your expectations must've been a bit different too. I mean, when you found out you had twins, did you expect to deliver? Is that, I mean, I'm probably saying this really naively, (laughs) but it's good for our listeners. Did you expect to deliver prematurely or do twins usually come full term? Like how does it? Yeah. So, right. So I, 
I was kind of in denial that my twins were going to come early. Twins, yes, typically do. You do hear about them coming early. And my type of twin pregnancy is called, uh, was called monochorionic diamniotic, which is just fancy for saying that there are two ba- babies in separate sex but sharing the same placenta. Um, so it's a little bit higher risk because, you know, a lot of fraternal twins, I have identical twins, but a lot of fraternal twins um, have their own placentas. And that is um, typically viewed as a much less like high risk. <laughs> but if you're sharing the same placenta, there's other complications that could happen. And so um, they told me that no matter what, I was going to have to deliver at 38 weeks. Like even if the babies, you know, hadn't come yet, they were not going to let me go to 40 weeks. So in my in my mind, I, I guess 38 weeks kind of became my 40 week. Like I didn't even consider 40 week, but I was trying. I knew they were going to be C-section babies. And I was just aiming for that, you know, 38 week mark. And so in my mind, I delivered big babies prior, like nine plus pound babies. So I really thought my body could handle it. I guess I was a little bit overconfident in my body's ability because I really didn't have any issues with, you know, carrying the twins. You know, I heard horror stories and I, it really seemed to me like it was going just as well, if not better than a singleton pregnancy. And so in my mind, they were not going to come early. They were coming at 38 weeks. And that was, I just kind of had it in my head <laughs> that that's what was going to happen. Um, and I had no signs that they were going to come early. I was taking a shower um, in the morning and when I got out of the shower, I was still, water was still leaking. I'm like, what's going on here? And <laughs> I realized that one of the twins broke her water. So they kind of picked their birthday, which ironically happened to me, my dad's birthday. So it actually turned out to be kind of a cool thing, you know, um, certainly wasn't planned. Um, but I, and I kind of, uh, you know, predict, not predicted, but I kind of assumed that I was going to have some breastfeeding challenges, you know, in the beginning anyways, just because there were two babies. So I guess in my mind, I, I was, uh, you know, I didn't think any, everything was going to run super smoothly because I was going to have two babies. So the fact that they were a little bit early, yeah, that was something else that was kind of thrown on my plate, but I wasn't expecting it to be smooth sailing. So I think that actually helped prepare me anyway, you know, because of that. Wow. Wow. And what about you, Hillary? What were your expectations like? I would say that my expectations were, I was in the, I was in the process of trying to figure out where I wanted to give birth at the time I was set to be with this one midwife group called Park Slope Midwives and deliver at Methodist Hospital. And at the time, I was still trying to decide if I thought that's what I wanted to do. I had actually thought I wanted to give a home, I wanted to do a home birth. I was thinking, oh, if only I could go to Ina May's farm. And it was about 26 weeks and I started to get a lot of swelling and I gained weight kind of quickly and I was like, is this normal? And everybody I was talking to was like, well, you're almost at seven months, you know, it's, it's about that time. And I was just starting to kind of wonder about it. You know, my ankle really swelled up and it was, you know, I had an old dance injury. So I was like, oh, it must be just that old dance injury really swelling. And um, I had a stand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
doctor-ordered midwife appointment on June 15th. And it was the first time that they were actually checking my urine and they checked my urine and they said, oh, you must have done this test wrong. You need to go back and check it again um, because the protein was outrageously high. And so they had me check it again and they took me right back and she took my blood pressure and she said, you need to go to the ER right now. My blood pressure was my blood pressure was through the roof. The proteins were through the roof. And I didn't even really know. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I knew nothing about what would be uh, the eventual diagnosis at the emergency room, uh, which was preeclampsia. I would just kind of, to be perfectly honest, just, you know, gloss over that area in reading the books that I was reading. This is not going to happen to me. This is not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, so, and then I got to the hospital and they're like, so you definitely have preeclampsia. You're the only cure is delivery. You're not going to deliver right now, but you might deliver in the next four days. And I was like, no, I'm not. (laughs) And so then they admitted me. And while I was admitted, I had a seizure. Oh, is that normal? So preeclampsia is technically pre-seizure as far as my understanding. And so not many people get to the point where they have a seizure. I have a, I had a very severe form that happened extremely quickly. And all I remember is them ask, they were, they were about to give, um, I think it was, I think it's called surfactants for the baby. And that's all I remember. And I just ended up going into a seizure in the room and they emergency C-sectioned me and I had no idea. And so when I woke up, I just was feeling a bit of discomfort in my belly. And I was like, why does my belly hurt? And ended up in the ICU for a few days without being able to meet Iona. Um, and she she was born at 1.9 pounds. She was extremely, extremely underweight. And it was a total shock. It was a total shock. And I don't think I don't think I could really even comprehend what was going on for the first couple weeks. <laughs> so there wasn't really any learning I was going to give birth prematurely. I just did. <laughs> wow. And it, it sounds like such a scary situation. You know, all I mean, I'm sure anytime you w- we have all these expectations of what our pregnancy is going to be like, but they just go through this. And I can't imagine the fear that is running through your mind. It's like, what's going to happen? Am I going to lose my baby? You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely frightening. Yeah. So now that your child was born prematurely, what happens in the NICU and at home when it comes to breastfeeding? We'll be right back. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about breastfeeding a preemie. So what was your experience like breastfeeding your preemie and also breast pumping? I want to touch upon both of these. I'm sure everything happened so quickly upon the birth of your babies, but how did the hospital provide you with support? Um, what did they walk you through? Were, was there a lactation consultant there? I mean, was were the what kind of people were there to to help you through the situation? For me, there was a there was an amazing lactation consultant. I was at Maimonides Hospital. She was a NICU nurse, but also lactation consultant, and she kind of reassured me um, from the start. And I feel like I owe my ability to breastfeed Raya my daughter's name is Raya, um, to her because she really was so encouraging that it could happen in a, 
in a slow way. You know, you always hear that even if, you know, you're separated for a couple of hours, that it could ruin everything (laughs) and the baby might not have the same instincts and um, your milk might not come in and all this stuff. But she just um, gave me so many kind words and encouraging words. And that's just, I, I can't even stress how much that means to a new mom, even if it's, you know, second, third, fourth baby, um, in that state, the, it, it was scary. I mean, we were just on labor and delivery. They, they would, you'd had to, I had to wait for, um, somebody to be available to, you know, wheel me down to the NICU to visit my baby. Couldn't just go whenever I wanted. Um, so I was in the labor and delivery recovering for a few days and pumping, when I was up there pumping by her isolate as well, I would go down as often as I could. Um, but it was clear that she was not going to be coming home with me. And um, that was very difficult. But but in general, um, everybody on staff was supportive, but they're also doing so many things and taking care of so many babies that there is a certain feeling that, you know, you just kind of have to fit into their schedule (laughs) but and there there were some support groups offered through the hospital where I was eventually Raya got transferred to Columbia Presbyterian and there were many services for families there Um, there was child care that I could bring my son which was amazing and he could he could you know play in a playroom at the hospital they have amazing facilities and um, they had separate lactation rooms where you could pump and that you know chairs by the isolate that pulls out and that pull out and you can lie down and take a nap there I mean those little things it's incredible it felt like a you know five-star luxury hotel (laughs) and I felt so you know just supported it's amazing what little things can do and then um you know family and friends family I, I had a meal train set up for me by friends people bringing over food for months. so they so they would rotate so they would rotate <laughs> yeah and they would either bring over food or order food and i can't tell you if you know somebody with a baby in the nicu that was like an incredible incredible help and support and you feel love through food too <laughs> i think like it's just yeah a good way to support so hillary what was your experience like in the hospital how long were you in the hospital with your baby? Um, so we were in the hospital for 80 days. Our Iona was in the hospital for 80 days. I also went there every day, but I was in the hospital for about a week, two days in the ICU, followed by the mother baby floor. So I start because I was in the hospital. Um, I was in, I remember the lactation consultant. She came in and said, Oh, it's so important to pump. It's so important to pump. And I was in a bit of a haze and I think I pumped a bit of colostrum for her. But by when I got home, we were in the process of also moving. So it was about, Iona was born on June 16th and we were moving two weeks later. So with everything happening, pumping was getting lost a bit. And I think because there was just so much distress and, you know, still some health fragility on my end, I was not understanding how much 
I needed to pump in order to kind of generate and keep my supply. So I don't think I got a bit of a late start. And so as a result, I was getting very, very teeny tiny amounts each time I pumped about 20 ml. And Amber had spoke previously, you know, that preemies don't take very much. So I was pretty much my entire time of the NICU, I was kind of just about at what Iona was taking in. There was a period of time where Iona wasn't eating for about three weeks. She was just getting this, um, I think it's called TPN. Yeah, I'm forgetting the <laughs> the full name of it. Just I, We would just call it like this yellow Gatorade that she was ingesting. But I had to start to do something called power pumping in which I would pump for an hour, five minutes pumping, five minutes off in the morning to generate my milk supply. And then moving forward, I would structure my day at the hospital with procedures that were happening in the room so that I was trying to essentially pump every three to four hours, and then I would do a power pump at night. So, I mean, that consistently happened pretty much the whole 80 days Iona remained in the NICU, but then it continued. I still had to pump because she was having a hard time with breastfeeding the entire time. She started to do something called non-nutritive suckling on August 2nd, Yeah, so essentially what that means is they allow the baby to start to practice sucking at, I think it was like 32 weeks, Amber, does that sound right to you? Yeah. I think Iona had to start a little bit later because she had complications with breathing. and Mm -hmm. It takes them a while, the breathing capability of being able to breathe and suck at the same time and swallow. Yeah, so the coordination of breath, suck, swallow is quite challenging for a preemie. And so it makes the potential of breastfeeding challenging. I didn't, we had a few lactation consultants come down, but I actually found them not as helpful as this one amazing lactation consultant who I had come in recommended to me by some friends. She and a few nurses would really were like kind of the main um, support system for breastfeeding. I mean, I remember this one sweet nurse, Melissa, just taking my breast and like, like pretty much taking my nipple and rubbing it up and down Iona's cheek and nose and face. And I just thought it was the funniest thing. Cause that was like, you know, it, we were in the hospital, there was all of these people around and like, you know, I'm just having like the, you know, my boob is bigger than this little baby's face. And I remember when Iona started to actually get some milk, it was like a few weeks after she started just practice sucking, my milk supply started to really jump up. And I think that was a big relief that and a big link to really keeping my motivation of pumping up. But um, it helped my supply when she even was just practice nursing. I think breastfeeding in the NICU, it's just because of the way a NICU has to run and is set up, even though they're often saying, you know, your milk is the best thing for your baby and it's really important that you try to give your baby your milk. The way it's set up, it's just very difficult to support a breastfeeding mother in that situation. There's a lot of interruptions. There's a lot of 
scheduling. There's a lot of times when, you know, a baby next to your baby is having a DSTAT or um, some kind of procedure and you get kicked out and then you can't feed or, you know, um, because you can't be there when that's happening or they have to do rounds and you miss that feed because um, you can't be in the NICU during rounds. It's, you know, or it, it just, you can't be feeding during rounds. You can't be in there, but it's just, you know, there are so many elements that and just so much going on that it really takes some doing um, to to breastfeed. But um, I think also, like Hillary said, everybody's so busy that it requires some extra underlying structure of support that isn't in every NICU. Um, but some some do have more than others. So it's something that, you know, I hope continues to get better. But one of the things, you know, that is happening now that is supporting breastfeeding mothers is the is that more hospitals are offering um, donor milk as standard of care. And that actually does, it sends, well, it sends a message to moms that human milk is important and to keep up and keep trying, even if they aren't getting it, but also allows them stress levels to be lowered when um, perhaps you, you just, your milk hasn't come in yet. It's delayed because you've been, you've had medical procedures yourself or you are just extremely stressed or for a number of reasons. And then when your baby can get safe donor milk um, instead of artificial milk, and it's very reassuring and um, it's one piece to the, not only keeping the babies healthy, but supporting the the moms and the families. So Amber, what type of support do milk banks provide moms that are going through the same struggles Hillary's going through or that you and, and Sunny went through? What type of support would your milk bank provide? Basically what we're doing is we are, the, the hospitals are setting up their donor milk programs and they order milk as needed from the milk bank. So they purchase it and they have it there when moms need it. So the the moms, if their hospital is um, providing donor milk as standard of care, they don't have to directly contact the milk bank, and we are we don't know who's getting what. But what we're doing is um, screening donors and pasteurizing their milk, testing their milk, and making sure that it's safe um, to give to the hospitals. But we do provide milk to outpatients as well and to moms who are in a hospital which doesn't provide it as standard of care, the hospitals that don't have donor milk programs yet. And in those cases, um, the mother will contact the milk bank directly and um, will work with her to get her the milk she needs. And, you know, oftentimes it is like Hillary's case where the milk supply, the mother's milk supply may be delayed or um, insufficient. And um, in this case, bridge milk, what's called bridge milk is all that's needed. And, you know, so they'll use donor milk for a relatively short amount of time. And it will just ensure that their baby is not exposed to, you know, the many risks that can be involved with formula feeding a preemie. Because their risk for, in particular, a disease called necrotizing enterocolitis goes jumps up by about 80% with a formula feed. So that 
that is called neck for short. And it's basically um, when the intestines get damaged or destroyed by infection. And a lot of times it requires surgery um, and it can be fatal. So it's really a big deal when we can, even if we're not providing the milk for on the long term, we're just providing it to make sure that so that we're lowering that risk. We are working on doing more um, outreach within the hospitals to provide more support services, but really that's usually done by the hospital. And our main job is to get the milk to the babies. I personally, you know, I came to work for the milk bank because of my experience, obviously, in the NICU. So I saw other families going through, you know, terrible times of not being able to provide enough. And also moms who have to go back to work right away and, you know, can't keep up the pumping schedule and all this. So I realized how important a milk bank can become and how important it is to get the hospitals to get on board. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so much to everyone for being part of today's show and for sharing their experience. If you're a member of the Boob Group, then be sure to check out the bonus content for this episode where we'll discuss what the process is like to donate your breast milk. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so before we wrap up our show today, we're going to read to you a comment that one of our listeners sent to us. As you know, we read all of the email that you sent us, and we try to catch up on Facebook as well. And it's just really important that we know how you feel about the show, and if something helped you, we certainly want to know that as well. And so this was an email that came from Christine, and this is what she wrote. She says, I want to relay my deep and heartfelt thanks for the breastfeeding guilt episode. So for those of you who aren't familiar, I don't know, it was probably about a month ago or so. So we released an episode about the guilt um, a lot of moms have if they're unable to breastfeed their babies or they're they're unable to breastfeed for as long as they want. And so that's what she's referring to. So she continues. My son is now six months old and our breastfeeding relationship hasn't really ever been easy, but I've been able to keep him mostly breastfed. Over these months, breastfeeding and pumping have at times almost been like an obsession, causing me to sacrifice my sleep, self-care and time with friends, family, as well as my husband. Only recently have I come to terms with loosening the quote-unquote chokehold breastfeeding and pumping have had on me. Of course, I am still feeling guilt, but this episode made me feel less lonely and more accepting of other feeding methods, of his feeding methods, she says. Thank you very, very much. So again, from Christine, and uh, you know, if, if there's an episode that really, I don't know, resonated with you, that really helped you, we would love to hear that as well. We'd love to share these comments, and, and I'm glad that this helped you, Christine, and I hope it continues to help more mamas out there. That wraps up our show for today. Thanks for listening to The Boo Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents, Newbies for Newly Postpartum Moms, Parent Savers for Moms and Dads with Toddlers, and Twin Talks for Parents of Multiples. This is The Boo Group, where moms know breasts. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode 
are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. How would you like to have your own show on the New Mommy Media Network? We're expanding our lineup and looking for great content. If you're a business or organization interested in learning more about our co-branded podcasts, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, NewMommyMedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.